Thanks, Jack. And uh, so great to have you leading us this morning. Um, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm Ellie, and it is my privilege to be opening up the Word of God with you guys this morning. Uh, now, some of you know this already, but um, before I came onto staff here at the Oak, I worked as a midwife. And uh, yeah, which was a joy, a real joy and a privilege. And uh, whilst babies are in the womb, they can hear, they can differentiate between different muffled sounds. And they can see changes in lighting, but their experience is pretty limited. But when they're born, suddenly a new level of experience is opened up to them. When they're born, suddenly they can see what these voices look like. Their whole reality is changed. And that's what God is offering us today as we encounter him in his word, for our eyes to be opened to seeing in a new way. We're continuing our series in John's Gospel, chapter 9. It's our fourth dip into this passage today. I do encourage you to try and catch up with some of the other talks that are available online. Rebecca opened up this passage looking at what it's like to be healed by God and the call for us to be those people that see others and stop. Then Katie opened this passage looking at what it is to find real rest in God, Sabbath rest. And last week, Andrew again opened this passage looking at what it is to have healthy curiosity. In this passage, we see Jesus heal a blind man and give him his sight. And we see him challenge those uh, around as they encounter this miracle to have their eyes open to the truth too. So let's have a quick summary of how we've got here. Uh, Jesus has been going around performing various miracles as a compassionate response to human need. But he's also using them as a launch pad to explain massive spiritual truths to people. In fact, Jesus talks quite a lot about light and water, which come up in our passage. And um, I'm ditching some of my notes because I have a sneaking suspicion God might be taking somewhere slightly different this morning, so do bear with me. Um, but we land in this place where Jesus is by the pool in Siloam, which means scent. And centuries before Jesus um, was walking on the earth, the king at the time, Hezekiah, um, was raining, and he got a team of people, a team of engineers of their day, to do this incredible engineering feat, tunnelling through 533 metres of solid rock um, to create this underground passage that would connect the Guyon Spring, freshwater spring in the Kidron Valley, underneath the wall into the city. And it made this pool of Siloam, which was about 30 feet wide. And what that meant was, if the city was ever under siege, and obviously there were enemies coming to attack all the time, the people could be in the city behind the walls and have this incredible supply of fresh water. And it also meant their enemies on the outside were cut off from this supply. So this area, the scent water from outside the city to inside the city, which is what um, Siloam means, was also seen as God's provision, that he'd sent help in a time of need to provide for his people. And that meant a lot of people started referring to this patch that Jesus is teaching in as the place of help. 
So that's the backdrop to our passage. There's just been a massive festival, um, the Feast of Tabernacles, and part of that involved some people walking around the temple with lit torches. And Jesus is talking about water and talking about the light of the world in our passage today. So Jesus is in this patch. He's seen a man who has been blind since his birth. And culturally, they believe that if somebody was suffering, if they were ill or had a disability or sickness, that that was caused by sin. So his disciples get themselves in a bit of a pickle. They're trying to work out, well, did this man somehow manage to do a sin before he came out of the womb? Or was his parents that caused this? But Jesus sets them straight and says, he's not blind because of any sin, but God's might is going to be displayed in this man. He tells them, I am the light of the world. And then he does something peculiar, slash, slightly gross, slash amazing. And he spits on the ground and he mixes up some mud and he smears it over this blind man's eyes. And then he tells him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So the man went and washed and he came home seeing Then his neighbours get this comedy moment of going, well, he looks really like that guy that we walk past all the time, that we've been living near for ages, but it can't possibly be him because this guy can see and the guy that we walk past can't. It must be mistaken identity. He must just look really like that guy. But the guy's like, come on, (laughs) it's totally me. So the neighbours bring in the Pharisees, the the ruling um, religious leaders at the time, I say, you better check out this miracle. We've never heard of a guy that was born blind being able to see. But sadly, rather than having joy in this incredible miracle, they get hung up finding fault. You see, Jesus had healed this man on the Sabbath. It was a day when people were meant to rest and not work. This Jesus feather's breaking the rules again. And the Pharisees get divided. Some of them think, well, he's broken God's special word. He's gone against this rule that we're not meant to work on the Sabbath. There's no chance he can be from God. But then the others are like, "Mm, yeah, if he's a sinner, how do we explain this bit? He's just healed someone. So the Pharisees ask the blind man, who can now see, what he thinks. And he says, I think Jesus is a prophet. But the Pharisees then trying to find a way out of that. They think, maybe it's just a scam. Maybe he was never blind in the first place. And they call in the guy's parents and they confirm, yes, this is our son. And yes, he was born blind. But then they do something which we might find a little bit shocking. (laughs) And they pretty much throw their son under the bus. They don't want to answer that Jesus is the guy that healed him because they're worried they're going to get thrown out of the synagogue. So they say, you know what, he's old enough, ask him for himself. So the man gets brought before the Pharisees again and uh, he gets a little bit sarky with them. He's quite a sparky chap. And we find this passage and he says, look, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know... I was blind, and now I see. And they ask how it happened, and he says, I've told you already, and you do not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you want to become his disciples too? And they fling insults at him, saying, 
you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. But as for this fellow, we don't even know where he came from. The man answers again. He is bold. Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he's opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of the opening of the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. As you can imagine, Pharisees quite riled to this. They replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. And as the story progresses, we see the blind sinner character in an interesting twist plot as the Pharisees come into the spotlight. So let's pray as we open up our couple of verses for this morning. Lord, we thank you that just as you saw this blind man, that you see us. We thank you that amazing things happen when we're in your presence. We thank you that in your hands, ordinary things become extraordinary. That mud and spit or a few loaves and fish become the substance of the miraculous. That humble things become great things when touched by your power and used for your glory. Lord, let that be true for us too. Open our eyes as we encounter you in your word today. Holy Spirit, we pray, lead us and feed us. Highlight the right bits of this stuff to our hearts, we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we're picking up from verse 35 of chapter 9, and it's going to be on the screen behind me. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And, he, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. The man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I have come into the world, so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were there with him heard, him, heard him say this and asked, what, are we blind too? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. So here we find this great case study of the right and wrong way to respond to Jesus. First, the healed man as part of the story, Jesus heals him by sending him off. He has a part to play in going and washing in the pool. He took action and he took a risk. He walked past people with mud all over his blind eyes to make it to the pool to wash. It could have just been a cruel joke, but it turned out to be an incredible gift. And then he takes another risk. He boldly shares his testimony, knowing that the consequences were likely that he's going to get chucked out of the synagogue and shunned. This man that can now see, who was possibly dependent on his blindness for an income from begging, 
is now risking putting himself outside of his community just as he's going to need a new income. His whole life is changing because of his partnering with Jesus in his healing, a man he's yet to set eyes on. And he's thrown out, likely friendless and vulnerable in this highly religious society. His own parents haven't passed the buck to him for fear of their own exclusion. Jesus hears about it and he seeks him out, just like he seeks us out today. He might no longer be welcome in the synagogue, but Jesus, the good shepherd, as we're going to be hearing about from James next week, takes him and adds him to his flock. But there's another really important step that this man must take. He's moved from talking about Jesus as a man to saying, pretty sure he's a prophet. Now he needs to have his spiritual eyes open to who Jesus really is, just like his physical ones have been. So Jesus asks him, do you believe in the Son of Man? And that might not be a term that we know. It comes from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament, and it described the one who sits alongside God and that was given the task of bringing God's judgment to the world. That's what Jesus is asking here. He's saying, are you prepared to put your trust in the one who comes to bring judgment, his light into the world? Not just a man, not just a prophet, but the one that the Jews are waiting for, the coming king, like we were hearing about before, the king of all kings. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me that I might believe in him. The man's desire to believe is displayed. His experience of Jesus makes him want to know more so he can believe more. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. You've seen him. What a precious first sight for someone who's only new to seeing in the world. Then the man says, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. This is the correct response to encountering Jesus. Because the greatest miracle for this man was not receiving his physical sight, but the opening of his heart to his saviour and relationship with him. He's healed, he receives physical sight, then he's saved and receives his spiritual sight. Now John writes this gospel to prove that Jesus is the son of God. He's not just a man, he's not just a prophet. He says, these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. This man's held up as a witness to what God is doing. John's presenting us that evidence that we might find life here. Because before we come to know Jesus, we're all blind too. But in just the same way as Jesus comes to the blind man, he comes to us. He sees you. He draws near to you and invites you to come and have your life transformed by him. As we experience the goodness of God, we trust him to shape us. Treehouse, are giving it large downstairs. It says, come to me and believe, and that will flow into worship. But then we get to a really tricky verse. 
Jesus says, For judgment I have come into this world, so that the blind will see, and those who see will become blind. And I don't know about you, but a little bit of me squirms. It's just like, oh, Jesus, just can't you tell them how much you love them, how much you love everybody? But the reality is that both John 3, 16 and 17, which Jack read to us earlier, and this passage are true. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. This passage is also true. God loves us. He sends his son to offer us eternal life, not to condemn us, but to save us. But his presence also brings judgment. If we read a little bit further into John 3, we see that the light of the world gives us the option to either come into that light or to love the darkness more and to stay there. And as Andrew said last week, Jesus is God's dangerous but healing light. His presence divides two groups, those who are open to his light and those who avoid it, which neatly moves us on to the Pharisees. The Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? We're the experts in the law. We teach everybody else about it. But Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. They claim they can see and therefore they're guilty of their sins. Now there's a natural bit of us um, that paints the Pharisees as kind of the pantomime villains, boo, hiss. But these are people who knew the scriptures. They prayed and they fasted and they worshipped frequently. These are the people who should have found it the very easiest to recognize who Jesus is. They're the ones who should have put together all these bits of the jigsaw that they found in scripture and realized that what they revealed was Jesus. All the clues were there. You see, one of the signs that they were looking for of who this king of all kings that was coming from the line of David would be would be that the blind would receive their sight. Isaiah 29 verse 18 says, In that day the deaf will hear words of the scroll, and out of gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. And in Isaiah 35 verse 5 it says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The Pharisees aren't physically blind, but they are spiritually. They could, or would not see that Jesus was the Messiah. Their religion was basically useless to them. They had all of this scripture, but they didn't join up the dots. But God loves his people. His words meant to be revealing him to them, not becoming something that makes them self-reliant or gives them a hierarchy of pointing out other people's sin. They'd had something powerful given to them but they had misused it. A little bit like this chap who, bored panda, informs me, received a Kindle, opening up all sorts of new reading possibilities, and yet used it as a bookmark instead to keep reading in the same old way. Or this woman who had every recipe under the sun made available to her on the iPad, yet she photocopies the iPad. 
Let's not be these people that misuse what God gifts us rather than opening up the new opportunities that he opens for us. Because who gets to decide who can see clearly and who can't? It's Jesus. Tom Wright comments on this passage uh, about Jesus dividing people, saying, those who come into the light and allow it to change, heal, and direct their lives are separated from those who resist the light and choose to remain in darkness, all the while, in some cases, declaring boldly that they can see everything clearly. The Pharisees refused to receive the truth, even though they were presented with all the evidence, this honest and consistent testimony, they won't believe. They'd already decided that they're not going to be convinced. They're spiritually blind because they're too stubborn to be open to new things. In fact, they're double-blinded. Their self-righteousness and their pride and tradition and all of their false teachings from the word of God has meant that not only are their eyes blind, but they're covered with mud too. We saw a few weeks ago, they're teaching loads about the importance of Sabbath, but their rest isn't restful. These guys never acknowledge that they might have got some of this stuff wrong. As Andrew challenged us last week, they failed to be curious. They're not going to listen to another point of view. Instead, they just fling insults at the key witness. They're claiming they can see, but they really can't. So Jesus speaks these words over them, which are hard, but they're ones of true grace to lead them into real sight. But they just can't recognize their need of him because they can't see their own sin. And therefore, they don't recognize that they need a savior to save them by his grace. And unfortunately, these people that are really religiously well-informed fail to be transformed by Jesus. Worse than that, they're actually trying to block other people getting to Jesus and receiving from him. You know, we all have a worldview. It's the lens that we see the world through. It's a little bit like having a, programming our own VR headset. And we shape that by the rules that we think exist in the universe and how everything works. These are the things that we believe beyond any doubt are true. But we're so used to looking out through our little screens that we don't even realize after a while that we're wearing them, that everything we're seeing is a product of the way that we've filtered it. And in this passage, it's a little bit like the Pharisees being told, there is a massive problem with the way that you're seeing reality. You think it all depends on you and whether or not you can keep the rules, but the Savior has come and you've missed him. There's a malfunction with your headset. You need to be reset. Your saviour has come. He's going to do it all for you. But they can't see it because they're just busy staring at the screen of their own making. Or perhaps it's easier to think about it as a, a pair of glasses that have been covered in mud. This picture really reminds me of when Noah did a Yorkshire Warrior. He looked quite similar at some stages. Um, he's covered in dirt. Jesus is giving us the opportunity to go and rinse our glasses off so that we can actually see. But sadly, the Pharisees refuse and their chosen blindness is revealed. And it could be the same for us, either our blindness by refusing to see Jesus as light 
or maybe sometimes the gradual degeneration of our sight. That might be so subtle that we don't even really notice it at first. Any of you with ageing parents might have also had the same, are you sure you shouldn't go to the optician and get your vision? No, 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 it's fine, I'll just read the menu like this. But actually what happens is they get to a stage where they're in quite a lot of danger because they can't see and they're not even aware that they can't see. You know, the only sins that can't be forgiven are the unrepentant ones. And until we have a right view of Jesus, we'll never come and ask him for forgiveness and we'll remain sitting in our sin. Not because God won't forgive us, but because we won't acknowledge that we've got a need of it. That only Jesus has the authority to forgive us and save us. Because the cure is simple, but it's really humbling. It's to say that we're sorry to receive forgiveness from God and a fresh start. Trust him to heal us. Jesus comes and he wipes those glasses clean every time we repent. Which is just saying sorry for the things that we've done wrong, for the times we've made God too small, the times that we've made us the boss and not him. And saying we're going to try and turn from those things. We're going to go again for you. So why wouldn't the Pharisees see Jesus? What can we learn from that? Well, perhaps they, like us, are pretty pre-programmed for self-reliance. It gets really easily ingrained in us that the only person we can truly trust and depend on is ourselves. They had this list of things that if they could just keep checking them off and keep achieving and keep grafting, that they thought they would earn their way to him. But the reality is even we let ourselves down because we can never be enough. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus is enough for every one of us and he will never let us down. We can't earn our forgiveness. We can't earn our eternity with him by just trying really hard to keep it all together and keep all the rules like the Pharisees were doing. We need to admit our weakness and gratefully receive his offer to do it all for us in our in take our place and die for us on the cross. You now as Jesus was dying he shouts out tetelestai which means it's it's finished it's paid in full. There's no further contribution that needs to be made and it's quite frankly insulting when we try to. His generous gift to us is life in all its fullness. Perhaps the light just felt too exposing for them, or for us. Thoughts like, I am messy, and that makes me ashamed, and I don't want you to see it. So I'm going to keep that stuff in the dark where it is hidden, and I will try and figure that out. And I'm going to try a bit harder, because it doesn't seem to have happened yet. Because ultimately, I just don't believe you could possibly love me as I am. And those thoughts need to meet with the one who says, I see you. I love you exactly as you are. In fact, I love you all the way to the cross where I died for you. And I came back out the other side. Sometimes those things feel really exposing. 
but actually where God is, everything is illuminated anyway. He sees all of it and loves you completely. He says, come, let me shine my light on those things so that actually you can see them clearly. And that way I can show you how we'll sort them out together. Because Jesus looks beyond our circumstances to see us. None of us are forgotten or overlooked. Whatever our circumstances, he has grace for us. And God loves to make possible what the world thinks is impossible. There's an invitation to bring to God now all the things that we struggle with and ask him to do what only he can do. Maybe that for you today is saying, Jesus, I'm turning to you and I want to see you. I want my eyes to be opened to this new reality of life with you. Maybe, as I've been speaking, the Holy Spirit's been nudging you about an area of your own blindness that you just need to turn to Christ with again and have him wash you clean. Maybe you feel your love for God has cooled. You know you've been able to see. Your glasses have been washed clean, but they've got a bit grubby again. We need to ask God for fresh awe at the wonder of Jesus because there is nothing casual about knowing the creator of the universe. If it feels like maybe God's activity in your life, the Holy Spirit's activity has become a bit more of a trickle than it has a mighty river, then hear these words from John chapter 7, where Jesus says, come to him afresh. He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he means the Spirit. Now, we talked a little bit earlier about how this pool came to be, and I wonder if that is a helpful image for some of us this morning. Sometimes we can feel so besieged by the stresses in our lives, work stress and family stress or tension and sickness. God will find a way to keep us supplied with this living water. The Holy Spirit, from whom we can never be cut off from attack. Maybe today, that's the challenge for you, to ask that Jesus will pour more of his spirit out on you, that it would well up within you a never-failing spring of life that's going to quench your thirst for him, that he can never be removed from you by other influences. Paul, um, the apostle, knew an awful lot about what it was to have sight and lose sight. He encountered Jesus and he had a temporary loss of his physical vision. He had been a, a Pharisee, the most Jewish of Jews, the best rule keeper there was. Um, but he hadn't encountered his saviour. He encountered him and his vision was temporarily taken from him. And then he regained his physical sight as his spiritual eyes were opened. And he went on to plant loads of churches all over the place, sharing this good news of God. And what he prayed for the Ephesians, I pray for each one of us this morning. And that is this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
My prayer is today that you would know that Jesus sees you, that he notices you, that he's made a way for you to come and follow him. So we're going to spend a few moments just responding to what God might be putting on our hearts. I'm going to pray for us as we do that. And then in a few minutes, we'll, we'll sing and respond together. We've still got plenty of time before Treehouse kicks out. Lord God, I thank you that you are the light of the world, that you are the God who opens up blind eyes. Lord, I pray for boldness for us to come before you and to ask you to open up our eyes today. Lord, I pray for anyone who maybe is just feeling that nudge for the first time, that they want to see you, they want to see you clearly as their Lord and their Saviour and their friend and the one that will come and seek them out when they're stuck and show your compassion and your mercy too. Lord, I pray for us who maybe had our eyes open to you a while ago, that have been journeying with you for a while, but, but somehow sin or busyness and other distractions which in themselves are sinful have just clouded our vision to who you are and what you're doing. Holy Spirit, I pray, come nudge our hearts again, bring us in repentance before you. Lord, I thank you that you wash us clean. You refocus our eyes on you, Jesus. I pray, Holy Spirit, come do what only you can do. You know the condition of each of our hearts. You know the stuff that we need to let go of in order to see you fully. Father, as that, um, the picture pinged up on the screen of the, of the super muddy glasses and I thought of Noah on his um, total warrior, I also thought of how at the end when they'd all been running around and were filthy and just laden down in the mud, how exhausted they looked trying to climb up the hill because there was just so much stuck to them. And Lord, if there's stuff that is on us, that is weighing us down, I pray, help us to bring that stuff to you. He says, come to you if we're weary and burdened. Because after that, they went flying down that hill on a massive water slide and loads of them had got rinsed off. And it was fun and joyful. And we know that getting in the tide of your spirit is like that. Holy Spirit, that you wash us clean. You bring us out somewhere different to where we started and there can be a lightness in your presence. So I pray that. Lord, for anybody that needs to hear that this morning, that there's that invitation to come. Lord, would you move for those people that just need all of that heaviness rinsing from them and to have fresh joy in your spirit today, Lord, I pray. Come by your power. Amen. I encourage you just to take a couple of moments to reflect. Shortly, we're going to be just responding um, with a song together, but respond to God however he's placing on your heart. If it might be that you want to just take a quiet moment alone just to seek him. Is there anything that he needs to do business with today? Might be you want to share that with somebody to pray with you or for you. Um, and then when you're ready, we'll, we'll respond in some worship.